You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the very first episode of Lady Vol Basketball Fever. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, and I have been wanting to do this for a while. Very excited to finally, finally be able to introduce you guys to uh, the addition to the Vol Basketball Fever, uh, I guess now podcast family, uh, the very first episode of Lady Vol Basketball Fever, where it's all about Lady Vols. The main show will still talk about basically both teams, probably obviously you know more men's basketball oriented, but we'll still mention Lady Vols on the main show. But I wanted a Lady Vol specific one um, because I, I think Lady Vols deserve more coverage. I think women's athletics in general deserves more coverage. But who better to bring on for our debut episode here of Lady Vol Basketball Fever than Maria Cornelius, who covers Lady Vols for Go Vols to War 7, also the author of The Final Season, The Perseverance of Pat Summit. I imagine most of you who are listening to this have probably already read that, probably own it. If you haven't, go check it out. You can go to her Twitter account at mmcornelius, and it'll be there. It's her pinned tweet on there. You can find it on there. Maria, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Nathaniel, for asking me. As soon as you said a show to promote Lady Vols and all Lady Vols, my answer is yes. That's an easy answer. Well, I'm very glad to have you on here. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and, and just different unfortunate things have, have been keeping it from being happening. But hopefully now we can get the ball rolling, get off the ground here, and we can get, uh, I'm hoping for, just kind of different guest appearances every so often, whether this is a weekly show, a biweekly show, whatever it is. Um, I'm, I'm glad to get this finally off the ground and going here. So Maria, we have a decent amount to cover here. We, we've talked about Lady Vols on the Vol Basketball Fever before, as and I have, but haven't really gone super in-depth except for our roster review episode where we looked back at kind of everything that happened, coaching staff-wise, roster movement-wise uh, in the offseason to kind of give everyone a refresher uh, before the season begins. So I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this team, the, the composition so far of it, and in con- context, I guess, of the exhibition game that happened on Wednesday against Georgia College. Lady Vols won that one, like the men's team, very decisively, uh, 108-44. But I, I noticed a few things from that game that I think are, are very interesting that I want to get your take on. I noticed Ray Burrell, obviously very efficient. Uh, it seems like, you know, you, you can't replace Renaya Davis. You can't, you know, that's she, she's irreplaceable. But it seems like Ray Burrell is not afraid to step into those shoes and, and be the, you know, take the the role she had last year and expand upon that as the, as the team's leading scorer, the, the go-to uh, offensive option. I, I thought Jordan Horston, again, did a good job of not really committing any turnovers, really o- overall uh, great game, 14 points, eight rebounds, four assists, two turnovers, three steals as well. Jordan Walker, I thought, played well. Uh, I'm also, I'm really curious, though, to hear your thoughts here in a second on Alexis Dye, but just kind of overall right now, give our listeners kind of your perspective on this team in general and if the exhibition changed your thoughts any about the roster makeup or any of the specific players before we get into kind of some some finer details here the the exhibition game i usually tell fans who ask me about it i'm like remember it's a division two opponent because mm-hmm. you can't play d1 in an exhibition game unless you close it and it's just a close scrimmage and the public can't come and you know no fans or media so i tell people if you don't win your exhibition by 50 plus points that's kind of a red flag sometimes so <laughs> They won whatever that math is by a lot, uh, 108 to 44. So almost, what is that, 60 
64. 64, yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I, I used to be able to be good at math, and I became a writer, and suddenly <laughs> I can't do math anymore. So the outcome is what you want. And the good thing, too, of course, is that Kelly had 12 available players. We, we already know Marta Suarez is done for the season to mm-hmm. fully heal her foot. So she will not play. That Tennessee went into the season with 14 players. And then junior post Emily Saunders had a family emergency back home in West Virginia and had to return for that. She tweeted later that night. She appreciated everybody's thoughts and prayers, and she was proud of the team. So Kelly had 12 available players, and she played all 12, 12 minutes into the game. So a lot of minutes, a lot of film, a lot of getting a look at different combinations. And despite all of that, with a, a you know, a, scoreboard high scoreboard scores table very busy checking players in and out Tennessee still looked good there were only a few stretches where you could see okay but boy everybody just sort of um just sort of lost focus on on that stretch but there was one time I mean it was early in the second quarter Tennessee was up I don't know 41 14 I mean some you know way up and Georgia College got a basket that was, I mean, the defense was basically standing. It just wasn't there. And Kelly called timeout quickly, and she was laying into those players on the sideline. And I'm like, okay, this is a newer version of Kelly showing how comfortable she is with this team and how at ease she is with this team to call a timeout in that situation and really get on them. Because when you first come in as a coach, the players don't know you. They, they have got to get to know you. And then last year was a COVID year, which was just the strangest sports year I think you've ever experienced, probably. Mm-hmm. I have. I mean, players were, in all sports, they were sick or quarantined or contact tracing. It, it was a tough enough year. It wasn't a year as a coach that you spent a lot of time climbing all over your players. They were going through so much as it was. Mm-hmm dealing with that so I was really glad to see Kelly's expectations for this team I've been able to watch a couple practices Kelly's been the same way in practice very much using her voice and letting know what her standards are of how drills are going to be run so what I saw in the game sort of aligned with what I've seen in practice it also aligned with who I thought would start based on that Jordan you mentioned Jordan Walker my goodness, that that is a dynamic player. I mean, undersized at the four spot, but makes up for it with her motor, her energy, her defense. I just, it, it, like you said, you're not going to replace Renia Davis, a first-round draft pick, and your leading scorer, but boy, has Alexis died giving you incredible pop mm-hmm. for the inside. That also allows Ray Burrell to stay put at the small forward spot. So she's she's in her more what they call so called natural position, and she looks like she just picked up where she left off last season. She is fluid. She's in rhythm. The sh- shots I saw her take in practice, I mean, just she was draining shots everywhere. She is just she's a senior. She's aware that her draft status is is going to be watched. I saw the Lady Vols tweeted today at Chicago Sky, thanked them for coming to watch practice. Ray Burrell knows a lot's at stake in her senior season, and that's when it it hits you, man, this is real. This is it. This is my last year in college. So, really, she looked 
she looked really good in the exhibition. She just she's going to be uh, an outstanding player for Tennessee. And there's an off there's a lot of help. There's a lot of help and a lot of talent on this roster. Yeah, before I get into specifically a, a couple of players, you were, you mentioned there the depth and the help that Ray Brawl is going to have. Is this the is this the? I, I still don't think it's the the you know, obviously not the deepest Lady Vols team I've ever seen, but is this the deepest they've been from a roster perspective in several years? Because I, I look at like you mentioned the contributors in this game. Obviously, again, it's an exhibition. You don't want to read too much into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah but exactly. I, I look at the the roster even before the season uh, when Gene and I were talking about the the roster breakdown and stuff, and I thought this team has more depth than I've, I've seen under Kelly Harper, especially, but also even before that, the, the last couple of years uh, under Holly Warlick too. I, I, I personally think this is the deepest lay of all team we've had in a while. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on someone who's obviously seen more of it than I have. Nathaniel, I agree. I, I, I mentioned uh, before this, this game started that this is the first time in a long time. I, I mean, going all the way back to Renaya's freshman year and before that, where Tennessee – has not had to start a freshman. Tennessee has started freshmen at key spots for the last several seasons, not as an option, but as a necessity. They simply didn't have anyone else to put at that position. Mm-hmm. And that's great if your freshmen are talented, and Tennessee has had and has talented freshmen, but starting freshmen because you have to is not an ideal situation. One, it's not always fair to the players. They're thrust into a role they may or may not be ready for. And two, it means you don't have upperclassmen developed above them. And Kelly is of the same mindset. She has always said, I think the advantage goes to a veteran team. And this is Kelly's first season where she has a pool of veterans, kids who have been there, done that, and some young newcomers who are capable of doing that they haven't been there yet but they're capable of doing that and they can be eased in and learn as they go so i wholeheartedly agree with you this right now people ask me what's the key to the season i said health good health because you really can't take a torpedo shot to your best players and so i i I agree with you wholeheartedly yeah no i i'm I'm glad you agree i I think the the depth on this team, like you said, as long as they're not torpedoed by injury, um, I think this this is a team you feel comfortable playing eight, maybe nine players at, by the time you're even later on in the season. One of those new additions that I, I, I have been very interested to see how she meshes with the team, and you've already mentioned her um, here in the interview, and that is Alexis Dye. Uh, we've talked about her at length on this podcast when the Lady Vols first landed her. Gina and I, I think, kind of had disagreement about her how she's going to fit in with the system, and um, whether or not what she did at, at in the lower levels would translate into the SEC. I was higher on her than he was, and I, I've been very intrigued to see kind of what she does. And, and hearing you know, reports from practices uh, a few weeks ago were very promising, and, and Kelly Harper had nothing but I mean great things to say about her. And she was someone that I thought you know for sure was going to start for the Layvalls and not be like the, the sixth uh, girl off the bench. So I, I'm curious your thoughts on her. Her stat line, I think, is pretty impressive. But I, I I also wonder, you know, her size, that was the biggest question is, is can she be a forward in the SEC as an undersized, you know, like six foot forward? I think she, it looked like from what I'd seen from the game, it looked like she has kind of molded herself a little bit to be a little bit more of a hybrid player, you know, where she could get away with being an undersized forward at the level she's playing at. She's kind of changed her game a little bit from that way and, and is playing a little differently with the lay ball. So I, I'm very interested to hear what Maria, what you had to say about her. 
she's an intriguing player and she obviously you know you look at her size and you think more guard size but she rebounds like someone who's bigger than than i think she's listed at, at six one she she absolutely actually i think she's listed at an even six foot and she looks like a legit six foot not an elevated mm-hmm. height listing she rebounds like somebody much bigger you you cannot keep her off the glass the other way that this works for Tennessee this season is that Tamari Key is, I mean, 6'6". Six, six. I think they list her at 6'5". <laughs> I think everybody knows she's uh... – oh, actually, they list her this year at 6'6", six, six, so mm-hmm. that's good to know. She's, she grew an inch. I think we all knew she was 6'6", <laughs> six, six looking at her. I mean, she's probably inching towards nearly 6'7". Yeah, that's what – when so, Gene would always say that you look at her and that's the same exact height as Ephon's. And I was just like, wow, that's a good way. To, that's a good way to look at it actually. <laughs> yeah. She is, uh, she is every inch of it too. Mm. So by Alexis Dye being such a mobile four, the paint is not going to get cluttered on offense. There's going to be operating room in there for Kelly because Alexis is going to pull her defender out of the paint or Alexis can post up. And she absolutely, she instinctively crashes the glass. You do not have to tell her to get to the glass. She is on it. She is there. She is around the ball. Yes, I mean, there will be some matchups that may not be in her favor. And and then Kelly can, I mean, she's got the uh, 6'2 and 6'3 freshman, uh, Sarah Puckett, Caroline Stripling. You've got Emily Saunders who can come off. And yet another graduate transfer, Kean Green. She also plays the four, so if you wanted them both on the floor at the same time, you could always have Kean at the four, and you can move Alexis out to the perimeter depending on different matchups. Kean had another Kean-type game. She's physical. She has great footwork. She calms the team down. It, like we, we said earlier, Kelly has options this year, and I know you've mentioned the roster and how you know the portal changes rosters. But Tennessee has three graduate transfers on the roster this year. Jordan Walker, Keegan Green, and Alexis Dye. The transfer portal completely has changed what your roster can look like year to year, as, as we see now with, with Tennessee picking up Alexis Dye out of Troy. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. There there are, I, I think we you know, may, may have mentioned it before, there are three graduate transfers on this team. You have a lot of experience on this team, but you also have uh, on the flip side there, uh, some really talented freshmen. I'll get to them in just a second. I, I, I want to talk about the, the older players here first. Die, I think, is obviously going to have... Well, I don't know. Dye, I, I say Die might have the biggest role, but I think you know Jordan Walker could definitely have, carve out a big role. I, 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 I think both Die and Walker are going to be your, your two biggest role players uh, from those two uh, veteran perspectives. But I think Green, she's interesting to me too. I thought she played what, 18 minutes or so, 11.5 board, 11.6 boards, excuse me, um, and a couple steals. What do you think the roles are going to be for these three graduate transfers? I, I think Die and Walker are going to be, you know, barring injury, I think they're going to be starters for the vast majority of the whole season. Green, I can see being um, a very, very valuable uh, depth piece and a bench piece off or a piece off the bench there. How, how big of an impact are you foreseeing that these three graduate transfers have on this team this year? I think they're all three very key players, and I agree with you. Kelly is not hesitant to shake up her starting lineup, but I think she likes this one. And I, I see this lineup, and, and unless you know, something happens, there could be injury or illness or a tweak knee. or I mean, we all know 
that lineups can change over the course of a season. But I, the lineup of Jordan Walker and Jordan Horston as your primary guards, they can, they can fill each other's role. That way, you never, if you're an opponent, you're never quite sure who's bringing the ball down the floor. It could be either one of them. And Jordan Walker looked like a player who was in her second year at Tennessee. She she had her ball defense was outstanding last night. She was she looked quick. She looked in control. Jordan Horston had a perfect uh, the shot we saw Jordan make as a freshman last year. She had a lot of injuries with her foot, her back. She stepped up and just drained her first three. I think all of these players are in a better place this year. One, they're out of COVID. That, that, I don't think any of us fully understand what toll that took on the team last year. Mm-hmm. The isolation, the quarantining, the, the – I mean, they were happy to have a season. They all said, you know, at least basketball gave us something that we, we came here to do, that we could do it, you know, we could continue our season. But it was just eerie. I mean, in the in the arena, it was eerie. And, and I was, the happiest thing I was to see last night was the band. Like I'm so glad the band is here, not that piped in music. So it's I I think I think you're right. I don't see you taking Jordan Walker or Alexis Die out of the lineup. And I think Keegan Green she's remember, Keegan only played four games last year and then tore her ACL in practice. Mm-hmm, right. So she is making her way back from that. I'm not saying that Keegan couldn't eventually move into the lineup, but either way she's gonna be a key player. And Kelly is not one of those coaches to obsess over a starting lineup. I've always said, if you want to know who the best five players are at that particular moment in time, see who's on the court in a tight game late. And that will tell you, you know, really who who the coach trusts at that moment. I'm not saying that can't change game to game or be a situational thing. So I, I do think all three graduate transfers are going to play a big role, and I think they're all three really good ad- additions to team chemistry. Uh, the, the players like them. They fit in immediately with the team. Everyone loves Keegan Green. They call her the grandmother of the group. <laughs> I mean, she's pursuing her Ph.D. So you, And then Alexis Dye is one of those players that without COVID would not have this year. She took advantage of the NCAA giving all athletes an extra year. This is her fifth year in college, and her role is to elevate her game on a bigger stage and and see what professional basketball could be a career for her. So Kelly's been working with her on that too to help her get guard skills so that she not only has the post-up skills but the ability to handle, handle and pass the ball. That's that's fantastic. I, I I'm very excited to see the um, the veterans on this team and how they how they mesh and just like you said with the the chip on their shoulder of this being their last year and like you said with no longer being COVID. Just I, I I'm just very interested to see how they they play this year. But on the flip side, again, Lady Vols have some very talented freshmen. Which of the freshmen do you see getting the most playing time and, and having the biggest role for the the team this year? That I see all four of them contributing in terms of who and where. Some of that's going to depend on matchups. Now, the first player off the bench last night was Sarah Puckett. Mm-hmm. Kelly has been high on her all preseason, and so I, 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 what I like to do is is watch these games too, and just sort of like you said, watch the newcomers, see how they move on the court. Are they in position? Are they? Do they know where to be? 
Sarah Puckett is one of the most instinctively, just fundamentally and instinctively advanced freshmen I've ever seen. I, I mean, it's not things that show up in the scoreboard. She's where she needs to be. She gets the ball where it needs to be. She got an outlet pass, which, you know, is, is a, you know, kind of a, or got a rebound to make the outlet pass in a meaningless, for the most part, possession, though the coach would take it. None of them are meaningless because they're getting filmed. But Tennessee's up 55 in this late game. There's under three minutes to play. I mean, the ball stayed in her hand about a nanosecond. Most freshmen will get that rebound and pivot and look. She had that ball, boom, outleted, outleted, I'm not even sure that's a verb, to Brooklyn Miles in like a nanosecond. And Brooklyn Brooklyn is fast. And Brooklyn shot down the court and went right to the rim. And I'm like, wow, this is what Kelly's been talking about. She just has a feel for the game, a high basketball IQ, and also a tremendous skill set. And I, I, I will be curious to watch her development. Caroline Stripland is a, a talented uh, physical player. All of them look nervous when they first step on the court. I mean, that wide-eyed look was there. I'm sure those hearts were beating. Brooklyn Miles, Kaya Wynn, they can absolutely fly. This will be the fastest, not only the, the deepest, but the fastest Tennessee team that Kelly can put on the floor in a long time. They, they could go literally with five players who can sprint the floor in, in various lineups. Well, that makes me excited to hear. I think that's been something that I've noticed that a lot of the teams the past couple of years have lacked is that speed um, up and down the court. That makes me very excited to hear that we're going to have uh, <laughs> a lot more speed. Uh, that, that's been a, a big need. That, 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 to me, even maybe more than the depth, is exciting to hear about. Um, I'm looking forward to. All right, let, Tess let's... Darby, I know some, I want to mention her. She, yeah. she hit some deep three balls. And I have seen, watched her in practice when I saw it. I'm like, man, she is hitting shot. And last year, she was another one. She had a lower leg injury. She missed the bulk of preseason practice. And mm-hmm. then she was hindered during games. Then you have a shortened year already because of COVID. She is somebody that Kelly's going to be able to bring in to hit shots. She can absolutely hit three-pointers. I mean, she hit one. The, the defense didn't come out of her. She was a good three feet behind the arc. Defense didn't move, and boom, she just drained it. And, I mean, that's a valuable player. And she's a sophomore, so she's a little more familiar with everything now. So, it's – Kelly kept saying all summer, I really like this team. And I remember thinking, I wonder why she's so high on this team. Because Kelly has a high standard for what mm-hmm. she wants to do. I'm not saying this is a Final Four cut the nets down team yet. But the direction they're going in is clearly the direction that Kelly envisions for how Tennessee is going to play. Well, looking forward here, you're taking some things we've seen from exhibition and, and what you've seen in the practice and, and applying it to the upcoming season here before we get into season predictions. I think, to me, some of the biggest takeaways from the game on, on the positive end was the three-point shooting didn't look bad. The team overall shot about 41%. You mentioned Tess Darby nailing a couple. Uh, Horston had a couple threes. Ray and uh, Puckett both hit threes. And also Jordan Walker hit a three. But you know, overall, not a bad three-point shooting night, especially when, you know, I'd be interested to see when they're probably playing more of their offense and, and you know you're not shuffling in trying to get all 12 players onto the court uh but overall uh, not a bad shooting night just period for the team 
in that respect. Defensively, forcing 25 turnovers, 18 steals, you know, so that a lot of those turnovers were not, uh, you know, it wasn't that Georgia College were making unforced turnovers. They've all forced 18 steals in that game. Uh, 23 assists to 11 turnovers, that's a really good ratio. On the flip side, though, you had the free throw shooting. That was that was interesting to me. Ray Rell, obviously yeah. perfect from the line, 3-3. Three three. Green struggled, 5-9. of nine. That was kind of the biggest detriment. Everyone else was kind of well, I guess Tamari Key was over three, Horson over two. I I think to me, that's the biggest negative I saw was that the free throw shooting. Did, that's that's a little concerning, but again, that can be attributed to an exhibition game. It can be attributed to you had you know a couple of your post players at the foul line more than anybody else. But I I I think to me, the speed as you mentioned was also a big thing. The three point shooting looking better than it has in in previous years also very intriguing. The assist to turnover ratio. That is huge because th- this team has struggled with turnovers a lot in the last three, four years. Um, they got better last year in Kelly Harper's second year, and if that can keep improving, especially with Horston and and with Walker, I think that's going to be gigantic for this team. So I, I'm, I'm very curious your, your takeaways as we're moving and looking ahead to kind of the rest of the season. What were the biggest things you you, you saw from that that you were like, okay, that's good. If, if Tennessee can build off that, you know, that's going to be good for the season. And then uh, one or two things where you're saying, okay, that's a concern. That's something that. I want to see improved as the season goes on. I mean, free throw shooting is a concern. I mean, mm-hmm. regardless of the opponent, you got to shoot. What is that? What was that? Forty-two point nine. I mean, it's some atrocious yeah. number. Forty-two point nine percent. And I realize that can vary depending on who's at the line. But I don't care if you have the last three players on your team at the line. <laughs> <laughs> you have got to shoot. You can't shoot sub fifty as a team at the free throw line. It's a free shot. It, it, it it's an exhibition game. It when I asked Kelly for two things she didn't particularly like about this, and free throws is the first thing she said. I mean, that will drive a coach insane. And I the practices I watched, I mean, they were making them. They practice them. They have to do them. They do situational. You know, shoot when you're tired. I mean, that's just something that that isn't on individual players to get in the gym and get in a rhythm and make your free throw shots. That's that you can't rely on just practice time to be a good free throw shooter. I mean, shout out to Ray Burrell. She has a repeatable form. She goes to the line. She hits her shots. I'm not saying everybody's going to be a hundred percent like she was, but I mean, you're a guard. You've got to at least shoot 80%. You're a post. You got to shoot at least 70%. Yeah. So that, that, that was one of those where, Watching it, I'm like this. That, that, that in a close game, that's that's a, that's a win or a loss. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it then Kelly did not like there were. She called a timeout after this too. There were five. You know, Tennessee is everything's going right. They're doing what they're supposed to. And I get it. You're up forty now. You know, you're just gonna have a little fun. She mentioned that there were five consecutive possessions where there was one shot, one pass, and then a shot. And she goes, "That is not how we run our offense. We move the ball." So she called timeout to put a stop to that. And she let it go for a few possessions, realizing the circumstances, and then she'd seen enough. So she she wants – what she's doing is, is establishing good habits, not allowing poor habits even in a blowout. Still do what we want to do. Now, obviously, fast breaks, she doesn't care. I mean, fast breaks go. That She wants this team to run, but when you're set up, in the half-court offense, she wants the ball to move, and she wants people to move. So that that those are two things that 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 she'll look. But 
I mean, we've pointed out a, a totally overmatched opponent. We know that. I mean, nobody gets excited. Hey, we beat a D2 opponent. You're, you're basically, like you said, looking at how did the team do? What did they do well? What do they need to work on? So the, the free throw shooting and, uh, and, and ball security. I mean, look good last night. Of course, Georgia College is not a team that can really apply pressure. <laughs> right. So ball security. Tennessee was getting better as the year went on, and then, of course, the wheels fell off at, at Michigan, and the ball just was squirting loose from everybody. It seems like it, like the yips or something. Once it starts, you can't get it to, to stop. And so ball security will be huge, particularly in the SEC. The SEC is going to be brutal this year i mean that that's i mean georgia college was physical credit to them they're college ball players and a boat a lot of them were freshmen but they were bodying up and getting in there and mixing it up and the freshmen are going to have to get ready for that they have never been hit like this in the paint and there's no whistle hmm. they're not used to that kind of physicality so people like alexis die key and green jordan walker they are they've they've played it that's where your veteran depth is so important so because freshmen they can play through some of these circumstances but if it's if the moment is just too much at the time then yeah you can get them out get it let them watch get them back in when they're ready but in too many cases before tennessee has had to let freshmen play on through mistakes and that's not really a winning formula for a team absolutely i mean you can our listeners here, I mean, obviously a lot of them already know a lot about the Lady Vols, but for those who may not have followed Lady Vols as much, you can liken it back to the football team having to play, you know, having to play freshman, not just because they're the most talented player at that position, like you said, but because you don't have another option, or the other option you have is a walk-on. Like, you, you're, you're having to play them because as you have to. And in this case, like you said, this this could be the first time in a while Lady Vols aren't having to start a freshman, and, and that's, that's huge. You, you'd like to have them be able to develop in a red shirt and come off the bench unless you know like on the men's side if you have a Kenny Chandler who's just a, a phenomenal player and yeah. he kind of you know can't sit so it, it's it's no. doesn't happen super no. often but you have those players like that like the, you know Trey Smith's Eric Berry's you go back to you know Lady Vols have had obviously their, their fair share of uh, yeah. superstar freshmen come in and start but in, in this case I, I think this Lady Vols squad it, it's notable that you're not having to start freshmen you'll have some come off the bench but even then like your, your yeah. sixth player probably isn't going to be it could be, but it may not be like your sixth player of the year for the Lady Vols may not be a freshman. We'll, we'll see. But um, you mentioned the brutality of the SEC. I mean, just look at the Lady Vols schedule. It's brutal from basically start to finish. I mean, maybe not the very first game, but you, the non-conference isn't easy. The conference isn't easy. I mean, they're, they're, they're playing, what, three of the four final four teams from last year, and only one of those is actually from the SEC. So you're thinking, wow, that's, you know, SEC may have had two of those teams. No, Lady Vols have a – Gina and I talked about it. This schedule, that, as tough as the men's schedule is – I think Layvalls is tougher. I mean, they have a very rough non conference with some really good, you know, teams from Florida they're playing. They're playing Texas, of course, Stanford, uh, and of course, play UConn later in the year. But the, and then the SEC, like you said, it's a it's a really good again, not just top heavy, not just you know two really good teams. You have four, five, six, seven really good teams in the SEC this year. I, I've said it with the men's team. I said that I, I think they may be better than what their their regular season record may indicate, just because of their just how tough the schedule is and how some of the things line up. They, they may take a loss that, you know, to a really good team, but it's still a loss. So they may have more losses than you're expecting. I think this thing can be said for Lady Vols. I think their, their end of regular season record 
may not be indicative of how good of a team they are. And if anything, if they can come out of this healthy, I mean, this you'd think this regular season should prepare them for March and April because they're, they're going to be tested uh, night in and night out, it looks like. I, no, I, I, again, I wholeheartedly agree. And that was Kelly's first priority when she got here. Now, you inherit, as a, as a coach, you inherit contracts as mm-hmm. a new coach. And some of those you have to wait to change. You got to play them out. You're contractually obligated to play those games. But her first priority is we have got to beef up the schedule in November and December because you don't go into the SEC really prepared for what you're going to face. And I think we saw that with Tennessee in the past where they they looked really good with their record in November and December, and then they got in the SEC and the physicality and the reality of it hit. And a team has got to be tested, and 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 they're going to take hits. I mean, they're they're going to have to upset. I mean, Stanford is the defending national champion and brings back nearly their entire starting lineup and added outstanding freshmen. South Carolina is the preseason pick to win the SEC and win the national championship. Like you said, there are tough games all over this schedule, and the SEC has become such a conference that the last place team can give the top four seed to fit on any any particular day or game. It, there was not a single – it used to be you would go into – I mean, well, I'm going back to the Pat years, even just 10 years ago, there might be one or two SEC teams that could really challenge Tennessee. LSU was one of them in the Sylvia Fowles era. Georgia was one of them at, at various times. But it has ebbed and flowed. Right now, every single SEC team – is dangerous to every other SEC team and can beat you on any – I mean, look at Georgia. Tennessee lost to Georgia twice last year. It's it's not – you don't go into any SEC opponent game and think, oh, well, this is going to be relatively easy. That luxury is long gone in women's basketball now. Yeah, and, and you mentioned it, and I was looking this up while you were um... – talking about that there you know you looking at the sec like you said and how deep they've gotten over the last few years you didn't have another sec team outside of of the lady vols win a national championship let alone you know, competing in the title game or in a final four but you know win one until 2011 with texas a&m since then a&m has won it south carolina has won it and then those two teams and mississippi state have gotten to the the final four in the title game multiple times so like like you said that that's and that's just in the past like 10 years or so and that's not even including you know looking at 15 20 years ago i guess the things were very different but it, it's been a very rapid acceleration of i would say really not even just the sec but women's basketball in general because I, I remember growing up like the powers of women's basketball were tennessee yukon and you had some some older powers like, i mean texas was around at that point too stanford notre dame but you didn't have these other teams you didn't have south carolina you didn't have baylor until you know, until britney griner came along you didn't have uh, Texas A&M, you didn't have uh, Mississippi State, you, you didn't have really a lot of the teams you see now there's a lot more newer powers in women's b- basketball and a lot of them are in the SEC and that's been we, this is, that could be a whole different podcast talking about you know the Lady Vols created a, with them kind of declining a little bit after Pat uh, stepped down, the kind of power vacuum that got created there and Carolina and A&M and a few other teams taking advantage but overall to your point and to going back to this upcoming season I mean, the, the schedule, like you said, Kelly Harper has made that a big point of getting the schedule better, of, of testing this their, her team 
earlier on and not being able, like you said, having building up the better RPI rating, you know, testing themselves and, and, and not withering down the stretch you hope because you've been battle tested early on and you know, hey, you know, we played these tough teams back in December and January. We know what to expect when we get into late February, March, we're, we're playing high caliber opponents at that point too. So looking at kind of what we've seen with the exhibition and you've seen in practice and looking at the schedule, kind of looking at the makeup of this team, I don't, you know, you don't have to give an exact win loss prediction, but I'm really curious your thoughts on this, this Lady Vols team and, and kind of where they could be by the t- once we get to the SEC tournament and stuff, is this a team that finishes, you know, in the, the top four of the SEC? Because, you know, we're, we're seeing the preseason predictions. I've seen them go from being ranked 19th to being ranked 12th. It's kind of, it's, it's a pretty wide range. I, I, I think they were picked second by one of the public, I think by the SEC media um, and the SEC. And then I think the coaches picked them third. So, you know, second, third, I think that's fair. I think it's, if you know, pretty big consensus that South Carolina will be the one that wins the SEC uh, this year. And I, I would be pretty stunned if they don't, but I, I, it wouldn't shock me to see Lady Vols number two. I, I think th- third is probably more what I would, where I would put them. But I, I could definitely see as long as they stay healthy, this Lady Vols team finishing only behind South Carolina, the SEC. Am I, am I off on that? Or is that a, a fair assessment? It's certainly a, a fair possibility. I, I put them third, just I, I I put obviously I think everybody voted South Carolina first. I said right. if you cover the SEC and South Carolina wasn't your predicted winner, then your credential may need to be taken. I mean, <laughs> yeah, look look at the roster, look at the history, absolutely. And then I had Texas A and M second based on what they've done. Based on this is now Gary Blair's last season. Yep. There's a lot of emotion with that last season. And I, and I predicted Tennessee at third and, and Georgia at fourth. I think people slept on Georgia last year. I was one of them, and I'm not, that I'm, I'm not sleeping on them again. I think LSU will be better. Uh, Kentucky is always up, is always battling. People also tend to sleep on Arkansas, and, and Arkansas got a really good transfer, an Arkansas native. I think Arkansas is going to be be in the mix there. Ole Miss is. I mean, Ole Miss used to be honestly it was a guaranteed win for Tennessee. Yep. I mean, pre, and Alabama, that has changed considerably. I mean, Alabama went on that series run. Ole Miss is a much better team. Ole Miss had a shot at beating Tennessee last season in Knoxville. So, <laughs> to be safe, I mean they they've got the, uh, the that that's another team that's transformed by the uh, by the transfer portal. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Shea Ralph will get Vanderbilt back on track. So it's uh, – I mean, you just look at the SEC schedule and you're like, there's not a gimme game anywhere on this on this schedule. And, and, and like you said, Kelly's got them right in the fire soon. Obviously, you know, they host Southern Illinois. You would predict that as a win. But, I mean, they're, they're, that's, they are still a good team. They are still a D1 team, a former Lady Vaughn, uh, Jody Adams-Birch is an assistant coach there. Mm. Uh, she's an excellent coach. Then they play that game on the 10th, and then two days later they're at UCF. So, I mean, that, that's one day. Or, I mean, you got one day of – it won't be a practice. It'll be a scout, and boom, you're right back on the court. How will those freshmen respond to that? That's their first road game. Then you come home and you play USF, which is now ranked in the top 25. And then you host Texas, which is an Elite Eight team. And then you go to Las Vegas, and those, as you know, those holiday tournaments can be a toss-up because mm-hmm. there's a lot of distractions 
your family there. It's Thanksgiving. You're having fun. And you've immediately got – you're going to take on Kansas and, and Oklahoma. So November, Kelly's going to learn a lot about her team in November, and that is a good thing no matter what the outcomes are because she will know where she is with this team and where what she needs to do to get it to where they need to go. As as a side note, I, I was looking this up while you're talking. I I I was I, I shocked. I didn't realize how you mentioned people sleeping on Arkansas. You're right. I mean, they went from four years ago finishing dead last in the SEC to a season ago uh, going 24 and eight, and do the tiebreakers being fifth in the SEC, and then this past year uh, finishing 19 and eight, number 15 in the country, and and being sixth in the SEC. I mean, that's a pretty big climb for a, that. That's you're right. I think people are sleeping on Arkansas or have been. Uh, they've been steadily improving, and like you said, it's <laughs> last year you finished the year with what one, two, three, with six ranked teams in the SEC. I fully expect that could be the case again this year because, like you said, you, you have a lot of depth, and, and with this, you know, last year it's really, really difficult to judge. Um, I think to me, a, a team and a coaching um, effort and a, or whatever a, a, from last year with COVID because it, it just like you said, it, it threw everything in disarray. It favored, you know, G and I have talked about this on for both men's and women's basketball. It, it The COVID stuff last year favored more experienced teams because you didn't have to worry about needing that offseason to develop and that needing that offseason to um, gel and mesh and get those young guys or young players along. If you if you're a more experienced team who've been together for a few more years, you were more likely to have success. And I think that showed in, you know, Men's, men's side, you had Baylor. The, the women's side, you had Texas A&M, for example, too. Like, it, I think that uh, pulled true for the most part um, in, in both those cases. But now, hopefully, a little more equal footing. COVID, you know, COVID not being nearly as big of a thing now as it was last year. Um, yeah, I think this team, like I said, I, I feel safer, like you said, too, putting them at third. But I, I definitely could see them sneaking into second. But I, I agree with you. I think it's, for me, it's Carolina A&M. And then Lady Vols there in the top three of the SEC. Now the the final point here, Maria, looking at once we get into postseason play, once we get to the SEC tournament, once we get into the NCAA tournament, you, you mentioned earlier that yes, this roster has improved and is really good, but you're not ready to say they're a Final Four, uh, cutting down the team or cutting down the nets type thing yet. But I, I, I saw I don't remember who said it to me. But someone on Twitter mentioned that uh, I think Alexis Hornbuckle mentioned that she thinks this Lady Vols team is a, at least a Sweet 16 team. I would I would very much enjoy and appreciate if this team could get back to the Sweet 16 because it's it's been far too long for the Lady Vols to to not have been in the Sweet 16. The last time they got that far uh, was actually in 2016. So it's been goodness, it's been it'll be six years by the, by the time we get to the tournament since the Lady Vols have made it to the Sweet 16. It's been obviously the same amount of time uh, since the Elite Eight as well. Can this team get to? The Elite Eight, because I, I agree with you. I, I don't. I'm not ready to say Final Four. I don't think they're to the echelon of of those you know top four, five, six teams in women's basketball right now. But can they get to the Elite Eight? I know obviously it's that's going to depend on matchups. It's going to depend on their seeding. But what do you, th- you know, do you see them being a, a three, four, five seed? You know, what, what kind of seeding do you do you think this team could be? And is this a an Elite Eight potential type of team in your opinion? Obviously, I know this is November. We're, we're asking yeah. a lot to predict that far out, but just just in your your thoughts and 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 looking ahead a few months ahead from now, I think the potential is definitely there. Now, obviously, when I see the brackets, I might go, "Okay, wait a minute," you know, right. that okay, because you it all the I mean, some matchups are just not good for any particular team, 
no matter where they are in the season. I think first key is for Tennessee to repeat what it did last year. Get that double bye in the SEC tournament and start play on Friday. I mean, that Thursday you are handicapped from the beginning. You're you get if you get the Friday you're taught you're facing a one seed, and the probability of not winning that game is very high. Tennessee finally got to Saturday last year or last season for the first time in several years. Okay, the next goal get to Sunday, get to that championship game because then anything can happen. So definitely work your way into a double bye, finish in the top four in your conference, and try to get to Sunday. Number two, if you do that, you're going to be a top four, one of the top four seeds in the in the 16 of the top 16. You'll be in one of those top four spots, so you will be able to host early rounds at home, which is huge, particularly for a team that is trying to reestablish its path in the NCAA tournament to be able to have one and possibly two games in Knoxville. You can do that, and that that opens the Sweet 16 path up just a little bit more to you. And then, I mean, you get in a Sweet 16 game, I mean, I like Tennessee's chances. I like their talent. And, I, I mean, ten, Kelly showed last year she can coach. I mean, to say that Tennessee overachieved last year is an understatement. They didn't get blown – they did not get blown out of any game until that final game in the SEC tournament against South Carolina. And by that time, that te- that team is walking wounded. I mean, we knew that Winaya hurt hurt her ankle in that game what we are in that tournament what we did not know is that she had a stress fracture and would end up missing the whole WNBA season because of uh, of the uh, stress fracture in her foot Kean Green obviously had already been lost for the season Marta Suarez was shut down in postseason and Tennessee literally was limping into postseason last season with that said, that Michigan loss I know was disappointing for the team and disappointing for Kelly. They didn't. They wanted the Sweet 16 last year, and that was a big goal to get there. And I think that that did not sit well with a lot of players, which is, can be a good thing because you don't want to be back in that position. Mm-hmm. So that that's the key: is do well in your conference and position yourself in postseason play. Started in Knoxville. Get yourself to a Sweet 16 in one of the regionals, and uh, trying to think where the regionals are this year. They've already been set, and I, I lost them off the top of my head in terms of where I know uh, South Dakota is one of them. They tend to love to send Tennessee all over the freaking place <laughs> for these things. So I, when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, they're. I'm sorry, it's not South Dakota. It's uh, I was ahead of year. Uh, the the regional locations this year, Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is a tremendous advantage for a certain team north. Uh-huh. I mean, I've often said Tennessee needs to, some donor needs to build a multi-use stadium in like Maryville or something. And there could be a Maryville regional and Tennessee can go there every year. Uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, which you would think South Carolina would have the inside track there. Mm-hmm. Spokane, Washington, they do love to fling Tennessee all over the place. So Spokane is, and is a choice. And Wichita, Kansas, that was it. I knew it was somewhere Midwest. And then you, you get there and you, you see what happens. And and Elite Eight games, I mean, that, that would be a tremendous step. Sweet 16 would be a tremendous step forward. Elite Eight would be even better. Pat mm-hmm. used to say, too, 
the final fours were fun. They were fun to coach. The pressure was on, but it was not the pressure of an elite eight to actually get there. Pat said the most pressure a team ever feels and a coach is that elite eight game. Yep. Because that makes so sense much to me. is driving on it. Yeah, that absolutely so. makes sense to me. But watching both Leavals and men's teams, like that makes sense. Like the the pressure to get to the final four is huge. It's immense. I, I can only imagine that that that, that seems that I've obviously never been there, but that, that seems right for what Pat said. That it, the final four would be a much more fun experience to coach than trying to get there. And you're right. Like I, I, I was pulling up the uh, the regionals as we're listing them off there. It'd be great. I mean, it'd be great for Leavals to get to the the Greensboro one because that's obviously the closest. But I, you're right. I think there's <laughs> better chance of them getting shipped off to. Spokane for whatever reason it just feels that way you're right yeah or even you know it's good that Tennessee and Connecticut are playing in the regular season because that can that could change the appeal of TV for putting them in the same regional Mm. because you know the game will be played in the regular season so I mean but all I know is that Tennessee tends to get in one of the toughest brackets and be sent the furthest from home so they'll probably go to Spokane <laughs> and then Spokane so that will have, would, they would probably be Stanford in that one. So right, maybe so they'll Spokane will have the number Kansas. one overall seed, and yeah, it, it, that would be right—the the toughest bracket. So everybody wants to go to Wichita, Kansas in March. I'm sure they do. <laughs> the team won't be distracted at least if you go to nope. Wichita, Kansas. That's true. March. There won't there won't be a ton of distractions off the court for you to do in in Wichita. I've never been to Wichita, so I'm going to feel bad if it's actually a, a decent Yeah, I, I've but. driven through it, and but that was years ago, and I, I don't recall any place I would have stopped at, just off the top <laughs> of my head. And I, I apologize to Wichita, Kansas, and it fancy may be a wonderful place, and if I'm wrong, I promise I'll come visit. <laughs> well, Maria, I, I appreciate you so much taking time out of your evening uh, to do this podcast with me, and, and I'm very, again, very excited to have the Leave All Basketball Fever podcast up and running, what, no matter how often we get to do it. Um, I'm very excited to have guests on probably every week to help me out with the show and then to talk late balls during the season. So all of you listening out there, be ready. I will, I will hopefully try to stick to some sort of set schedule. So you're not just kind of always up the air of when the next episode is going to come out, but it, it'll depend on some of the other outside factors that I cannot control. But again, Maria, thank you so much for coming on. You're if welcome. You want to hear, like I, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, if you want to go ahead and plug, uh, I, I know obviously you've written about the exhibition game, uh, that was a Wednesday, but go ahead and plug anything you have on uh, GoVars247. You can plug anything else you have out there that you want any of our listeners to go check out of yours. Yeah, definitely GoVars247 is where I cover Lady Vols sports. I had started covering Tennessee in 1998 and had been through various changes in what 247 became. It was un- mm-hmm. under different ownership. 247 is part of the, obviously, 247 Sports Network. Great coverage opportunity for Lady Vols gets a lot of traffic so please go and check out the stories or and subscribe monthly if you would like we have a very active message board called the summit of all things and if you are looking for a book to read final season is available at bookstores or online you can find it still hardbacks the original hardbacks sold out but there are used copies and of course paperback and kindle versions out there so basically just appreciate everybody supporting women's sports. I will give a pitch for the actual Lady Vols. This is going to be a fun team to watch. These freshmen are energetic. They're fun kids. They play hard. The returning players are a great bunch of kids. Get to a game if you can. It's going to be a very fun team to watch. 
don't miss it. Come out there and support and support women's sports. And Nathaniel, so appreciate what you're doing with bringing attention to women's sports. We need more of that. And I'm here to help you on this podcast and, and be on it anytime you need me to. You know how to find me. Just reach out and I will help you out. Well, I appreciate it. I know here it's here at the end of the podcast, but if I haven't said it before uh, on the show yet, a huge congratulations to Candace Parker and Diamond to Shields for winning, uh, helping Chicago win the WM- or WNBA championship. I, 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 we were all over our Twitter and Facebook of just uh, praise and, and, and sharing different videos and stuff of Candace. And I'm not gonna lie, Maria, I, uh, I, I teared up there at the end with her 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 post game interview. I, I every time I know that she's gonna mention Pat. I'm glued to my television and ready with the tissues at hand because I know it's going to be a very emotional yeah. moment with with Candace, with her and Holly and Holly Rowe and 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 Pat Summit. Like it, it just, I don't. There are very few athletes I root for more than Candace Parker, and I think she is a phenomenal person and athlete. And I I was ecstatic to see her win her second WMA title, and especially with going to Chicago and everything. And with people kind of counting her out with her. You know, with, with all the stuff that happened the past couple of years, with with a lot of people counting her out, and with what happened with the national team and everything, just seeing her be able to go out there and prove the doubters wrong and win another title and do it with not just being like a role player, but being a very important piece of the sky. Oh, it 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 made my day when it made my whole weekend when she and this guy won the WNBA title. I, I was ecstatic. No, I agree. That was incredible. She's gonna be the homecoming parade person mm-hmm. too i mean what an ambassador for the university of tennessee mm-hmm. candace parker my goodness that is uh, you cannot get a better person to be the centerpiece and the face of your program right now than than candace parker for the lady boss for the whole university and she loves tennessee absolutely loves tennessee which makes it even better you mentioned that you know tennessee was getting away from having to start freshmen we i think we'll both agree that if a player of Candace's caliber ever comes, <laughs> go ahead and have her start the first game. First time I saw Candace Parker practice, my mouth fell open. Mm. Besides Shamika Holdsclaw, I'd never quite seen, and, and Tamika Catchings to some extent, but Candace also played inside. I had never quite seen a player do what she did on the. I was like, oh my goodness, I've never seen this. I did. I mean, it was just like it was, there was. There's basketball players, and then there's Candace Parker, and she's even so much better now than when she was a freshman. So if there's any freshman Candace Parkers out there, Tennessee should feel free to start them on the first <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to lie. When I, when I said that, when I said not having to start freshman unless they're a, a, a generational player, but the very first player that popped in my head was Candace Parker. I thought, well, if you have one of Candace Parker on the team, then you're starting her. That's a no-doubter. <laughs> she she goes in line with those with those other players, like a, you know, for the the men's side, like a Chris Lofton or a, a football, like an Eric Berry. Like, you're starting them no matter what. They're, you can't keep them off the court. I think the first play I saw her do, she got the ball in the post, made a move, and then pivoted, and then hit a little sky hook. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's her first <laughs> play as a freshman? And I just looked at the person sitting next to me, and I'm like, oh. She can play because you you know you see highlight films, but you, until you see them in person, and then you see the the fluidity with which she moves with the basketball. It, it, she's I mean she's a, she's a generational player, definitely. Absolutely. Well, that, I think it's a great way to end the podcast, uh, Maria. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm I'm very appreciative of you helping me start the volleyball basketball fever uh, show off on the great foot here, right before the season begins with our predictions and looking at, at the exhibition game. So thank you so much, Maria. 
You're welcome, Nathaniel. You have a good rest of your night. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.